0: Welcome to the Volrath Feed, the show that brings you everything you ever wanted to or needed to know about the world of commercial food service. It's a big industry, it's a fun industry, so we know there will always be lots of interesting things to talk about, from trend-setting chefs and industry leaders, to everyday people who just keep the industry moving. We will have it all. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company, and as always, joining me is our producer, Justin Pearson. Justin, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for asking yourself. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Before we go any too much further, I just want to let everyone know that um, coming up later on today's show, we will be talking to Guy Davies from Good City Brewery in Milwaukee. He's a really talented chef that runs the food service operations at Good City's two locations. So we'll find out how they're dealing with things at the moment, and I'm. Um, guessing that uh, we'll hear about some discussions around beer as well being that he's in a brewery in milwaukee right yeah i would hope so you know it, it's it's fitting i guess that we're talking to a brewer in milwaukee as milwaukee's got such a, such a strong history of brewing beer right yeah the, you know, they don't get the name brew city for nothing right right and just the amount of breweries that have been in the city over time. I mean, the the big ones. Miller, of course, is the biggest that's well known. But um, I think at one time I read something that they had the largest four largest breweries in the country, and they were located in Milwaukee at one point. Mm-hmm. So rich beer history there, certainly. And um, I think part of what I've heard, be it legend, be it fact, I don't know, but that the Chicago Fire had a big influence on the success. Of Breweries in Milwaukee,
1: yeah, that's right. The fire knocked out like all of their major breweries and and cut off their water supply and and decimated the infrastructure, yeah, so it really allowed for Schlitz to step up and become the beer that made Milwaukee famous
0: well, and if you think about where Milwaukee is in relation to Chicago, it makes sense. We had the lake for mm-hmm. easy shipping of product, and Milwaukee having a rich history already from its German heritage that yeah. Always, you know, we had people that knew how to do this, and there was a market. I'm sure they just ramped up to meet the needs, and uh, that was good for business. And morale. (laughs) (laughs) So breweries in Milwaukee, of course, um, you know, now we think of them as uh, micro brews or craft breweries. We still have the big breweries. We still have the Miller, which is now, who owns Miller now? I I don't even know. Is it? um, Molson Coors, I believe. Right. You know, as consolidations go, now it's not just Miller anymore, or it's not just. I think Blatz was the other big one in Milwaukee for a while.
1: Yeah, then I think
0: Schlitz and Paps round off the big four there. All right. but now you hear about all the the craft ones in Good City, you know, certainly doing that um, now and then. The the other interesting thing of this is, I know you and your wife, you you enjoy going to, we'll call it a microbrewer, a craft brewery.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we we really enjoy. Well, when we travel, we kind of plan it around. All right, what breweries are are in the area, and we like to check them out because it's it's fun to see what people are doing um, as far as their experimentation and what they do with their with their ambience and everything. You know, a lot of. A lot of breweries like to uh, move into old buildings, which is a, a great history preservation in and of itself, and you kind of get a lesson in architecture and in history when when you visit these places. But anywhere you go now, you you can find a great brewery, which is kind of how it used to be. You know, you used to have the the neighborhood brewery back in the day. Oh, right, but that's that's just kind of what it's returning to. Is uh, you,
0: you got your local brewer, and that's where you go to get great beer right but the varieties that these breweries are making now there used to be a pretty narrow lane that beer was in right and now it's just gotten all over you've got you know the fruit infusions you've got uh the the different aging techniques the the and not that they are new beers in the way right because we've had them but breweries didn't always brew those things the demand maybe wasn't there right
1: yeah yeah a lot of them are old recipes that have been resurrected and then there's been so much science interjected into these recipes and so much precision and so much time and care into enhancing old recipes and and making them them better
0: mm-hmm. and speaking of recipes, they're usually as we talked about a little bit the the food side of them I mean and these places are are fun, they're energetic, there's a lot going on, and the food is is can be very unique as well, right the chefs that are involved with these concepts are are doing really cool stuff and and often it's with beer of course makes sense Mm -hmm. but even just beyond that their own take on street food or some trendy food that's out there right now is always pretty interesting as well
1: yeah you're seeing lots of great food coming out of breweries uh it it can be a gamble though it's easy to get unbalanced and lose your focus and you know either your your beer starts to suffer or your food starts to suffer Uh, it's it's a lot to juggle, and I've I've seen some places actually go down because they they grew too fast with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a lot of people are just they're nailing it, and you know, they get the right people in, and they give them the, the freedom to be creative and be successful, and uh, it keeps people coming back. Right. Well, it's like
0: this like good city is done. Right. I think they got the guys mm-hmm. that brewed the beer, the founder, yeah. and the founders, the three the three guys that founded, it, and then they hired guy. Right. They they knew that their their expertise was beer guy's going to be their food guy no right intended right and <laughs> and he's 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 done some amazing stuff there and i
1: uh with this having him on the show it's just making me want to get down there that much more so you know we'll have to plan a trip Yeah, you know, as we we'll say, add added on the list Yeah, you know, this will be <laughs> an easy one for us to knock out though right this one you're right very very close by to yeah just down the
0: road and then we'll have to see uh dan tandem as well we'll stop in uh to see her and yes, we've got yeah. some stops to make in in Milwaukee area, so that'd be fun. So when you think of the food that's offered in in the breweries that you've been to, I I would imagine heavy on burgers. That just seems to fit to me, right? Yeah, and burgers that's... can can be one of those things where people can really go all over the place with a burger. Everything from I think we've talked about it one of the shows maybe the bun, what can be used for the bun mm-hmm. and what's what the toppings yeah. can be, and it's almost like. Some use them as a condiment to a Bloody Mary almost, right? A whole burger right. stuck on a stick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just the things they can do with food.
1: <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy what they're doing. I mean, we oh. could run a whole episode just on on Bloody Mary condiments and where that's that's gone. I mean, what, was it uh, Sobelman's in Milwaukee, I think, that really kind of started that? They do like sliders on a stick. uh uh-huh. And then um, I th- they put like a whole fried chicken on there, bacon wrapped cheese curds it's (laughs) well that makes cheese you got to have
0: that right i guess right right (laughs) but it's more more than a more than a meal all right where is that gonna end it's like here's a prime rib on a stick in your your bloody mary (laughs) no, no well rich before we bring guy on the show i would like
1: to introduce everyone to our next segment called chef rich's tips and tricks which aims to provide everyday solutions to both professional and amateur chefs
0: all right yeah, this this tip I think is useful for anyone. Kitchens, cooks, sportsmen, any knife, anytime you use a knife, eventually you're going to take that tip of the knife and it's going to roll one way or the other and just through normal use and that's when you would take a steel, that, that metal rod that we take the knife, we drag it down the knife and kind of just reset that angle of the blade of the knife. Well, I was working a food show and an old knife salesman said, hey, here's a good tip for you. So what he does... So if you imagine yourself holding the steel and knife and working the knife on the steel, whichever way you do that, if you bring it from the top of the steel down towards your hand, or if you go from your hand out to the tip of the steel, whichever way you start and typically steal the knife, turn the knife in your hand so the top of the knife now is leading the way. So instead of bringing it down or turning it away from you where the blade is first, Turn the knife in your hand so the top of the knife you're going to bring down and still the tip of the knife or the edge of the knife will still contact the steel. So what that's going to do is if you can imagine the top or the edge of your knife blade, instead of being a nice point, eventually through use we get that point that kind of rolls over. Doing the steel first this way kind of helps pull and straighten out that edge and then when you reverse it back to the way you typically do it, it kinda resets that angle again. And that's stealing the knife. It really isn't sharpening. Sharpening is when you remove material from a knife. All we're doing with this process is simply resetting the angle of that edge. So that's one way to do it. If anybody out there has another tip or trick for uh, sharpening a knife, please uh, let us know. We'd love to uh, talk about it on the air and and share your tip. So I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much Rich.
1: If you would like a visual to go along with this tip please visit volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed, and you can check out the video that we've made for this.
0: Justin, I think it's time to welcome our guest to the show and hear about the uh, great food at Good City Brewing. So everyone, please welcome our guest, Chef Guy Davies from Good City Brewing in Milwaukee. Guy, how are you today?
2: I'm great, Rich. How are you?
0: We're doing well, thanks. Everything, Justin, uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing? I'm
1: doing awesome today.
0: Thanks Good. for asking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I imagine that uh, you're, you're alone in the building today. It's a strange time in, in this uh, COVID world of ours, right? Are you keeping busy, get, keeping your, uh, keeping work going in the, in the brewery, or what are your days like now?
2: It is definitely a very strange time. Um, you know, when this all went down, we could see really early on in the piece that it was really important to keep everyone safe and to, you know, wind things down, uh, quite a few notches, not just one or two notches. Um, I managed to keep a couple of my real key people um, on. Um, I have three sous chefs that um, I kept uh, working. Um, we went from, uh, obviously, two, you know, like, full restaurants and a, a huge catering space, actually two catering spaces, um, back down to curbside um pick up uh take our food at one of our locations at our original uh brewery um production brewery um obviously the uh we had a little bit of an advantage because kind of a one-stop shop you could uh order a burger and some fries and pick up a six-pack of beer at the same time
0: mm-hmm. um
2: and we pretty much just like uh every day we set up shop and Uh, Again, we tried to be as safe as we could with our staff and our customers. Um, But that pretty much managed to get us through like three months (laughs) worth of a a lot of change. Um, You know, we shut down our downtown location completely, um, which gave me a chance to get in this building and uh, clean and pull things to pieces and, you know, install some new equipment and, uh, you know, like readdress issues that we had with the with the space which is great which is something that you in this industry in the, all the years that i've been in it you hardly ever get the opportunity to they really deep clean to take something completely yeah. pieces and put it back together
1: um, well it's not really there isn't downtime you know if you're not being productive with this this time you know and doing stuff that you're doing you know you're just not going to be ahead so y- how old is the building downtown? Uh, when when did you guys uh, move into there?
2: So we moved in here at the start of last year. So mm-hmm. we've been in, uh, we've had this space now for what, a year and a half? Um, which this year for us was, you know, it's going to be a great year <laughs> because um, the first year of any uh, new business, I mean, we already had the east side up and running for three years. Um, or two and a half years but um, really like the first year of a restaurant or a business like this you get to see the numbers you get to see how to posture um, when to staff with full staff and cut it back a little bit Um, and then the second year in you have the opportunity to look back at the year before and say like all right this is what happened then Mm
0: -hmm. this
2: is what we could potentially expect you don't you'll never know exactly but um, it's good to have a year under your belt um so this was going to be a fantastic year for good city downtown <laughs> yeah
1: well and your guys's location is amazing the building's amazing you're right right there at the front door of the Pfizer forum um so that's yeah all all the ingredients are there for a uh, phenomenal business and uh you know, yeah here we are
2: <laughs> yeah we would have been hosting a uh television crew for the dnc in the space that i'm in at the moment Ah. Um, Ah. if if that hadn't been moved and canceled and (laughs) plans changed and so yeah we had a few big few big things and obviously this time of the year is uh this is peak wedding season right um our like event space downtown uh again we had a, a whole year to book this wedding season um so this would have been a pretty pretty busy time of the year for for all of us down here
0: so guy, tell us a little bit about the the location there you're in the downtown location and give us a perspective on the size i think for everyone and um you know how many covers would you guys normally do say on a, on a Friday night or something where there wasn't wasn't an event at the at the fire or or something
2: so we Obviously, it changes really drastically when you're so close to – the Pfizer um, maxes out about uh, 18, I think 18,500 people. Um, So, And we we are literally directly opposite. You could walk out of their front door and straight in our front door. When we set this up, that was really one of our biggest challenges is to be able to cope with crazy, absolutely everyone wants to be in this building, everyone wants to be drinking beer, having something to eat, to the – Flip is uh, average business downtown, whether it's like daytime lunch business or whether it's just an average Friday night. The area here in Milwaukee, um, I mean, the Pfizer is right there, but then there's also the uh, the Performing Arts Center, was literally two blocks away. Turner Hall, which is a really well-known Milwaukee band venue, is uh, literally like a minute away from us. So we're sort of in the center of this uh, what a lot of people here call the entertainment district. So yeah, it did for us designing the space, the layout of the space, we really wanted it to be uh, able to deal with all of those beer drinkers hitting us all at once and at the same time having an area that's more like a traditional you know, restaurant. We yeah. had to pursue families and everyone. The event space we have upstairs is I think the most people seated we've had up here is just just over 300. So we have a 300 person seated dining room space, as I said, like weddings and banquets and corporate events. And we've had training sessions in here. We had a company that makes scissor (laughs) lifts come in and like train all of their like salesmen and drive these things around this space. It's like, you know, 40 foot ceilings. And, um, you know, so it's a really universal uh, space. We've also used it like during games to, we just put a big screen in here, some TVs, we set bars up and basically this is an extra, extra viewing area if you don't want the formal sit down restaurant, you know, experience, you want to, you know, hang out with your buddies and we have bag toss games that we put out and uh, so it just, you know, sort of turns into a big rec room. We have a lot of outdoor seating, so that's the other side with the summer for us. Is we can open up uh, big garage doors in the front of the building and sort of got inside outside which has been really good with the uh with this uh pandemic bringing this space back on having being able to actually open the front of our building up um you know what we've seen i think what a lot of people have seen is uh outdoor dining uh outdoor you know eating drinking uh customers just feel a lot more comfortable with it
0: yeah do you keep the uh, same menu uh, all year or do you do you modify it during uh events do you do you use the same menu when there's a, a thing at the, a function at the five serve or do you go to a different menu to try to speed service or how do you how do you manage the the fluctuations that you get in in the uh amount of people each night
2: uh, we've done a lot of different things um we have one section of the dining room which is a lot more formal seated area sometimes we would have a set menu, a regular menu that we'd serve in that area. And then we'd sort of offer slightly more limited menu, um, in different parts of the building outside in the, in the front in our bar. It really did take a while to get used to the idea that you can have like a thousand people shoulder to shoulder drinking beer. And it's really, you know, for my front of house, uh, staff, it's really hard to get through that, you know, mm-hmm. if you're carrying, you know, like four pizzas and a and a burger and a couple of glasses of beer and you're going to try to get through a crowd of you know like three or four hundred people even it's it's (laughs) pretty difficult
1: probably take some extensive uh additional training for uh for servers you know work on their upper body strength and get it nice and high
2: (laughs) yeah yeah that's always a good trick but then also sort of corralling people and yeah trying to clear a path through
1: yeah Yeah. right (laughs) How does somebody from small Australian town find their way to milwaukee and and then into the position that you're at now? Could you give us a little bit of of your backstory and and how you made your way here and then also what kept you here?
2: I think maybe my story is like a lot of other people who grew up in a small country town <laughs> um, <laughs> you know like i I look back at the you know where i grew up and it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet i was so lucky to to grow up in such a beautiful place and to have such clean food and water and air and all of that good stuff that's um when you're a kid you you know you really need that stuff in you the other side of it is by the time i was a teenager i just could not wait to get the hell out of there (laughs) (laughs) you know i could see that there was this fantastic big world out there and uh I pretty much, yeah, from the age, from the time I was, you know, in my early teenage years, um, I just did everything I possibly could to <laughs> to get out of there and to travel and to see as much as I could and, you know, moved from the country to the city, uh, you know, went to college and, and started to learn more, um, like always traveled, started traveling uh, around Australia and within the cities in, in Australia.
1: What, what were you going to school for?
2: I actually studied graphic design. Oh, um, very nice. Yeah. So it was something, I was sort of always driven by artistic pursuits. I um, played music when I was young, and so like illustration is kind of like where where I was heading. It's actually in college is where I first started working in kitchens, because obviously I needed some money to, yeah, yeah. you know, get through <laughs> college. Um, and I think it was until not that much later, but Later on, um, that I really realized um, how much I loved it, how important it was to me. The creativity, which is something that I'd never really even thought too much about food. I I was always around food. My parents, um, back when I was a kid, my parents ran uh, gas stations in this country town that I grew up in. And it was like back in the day, a gas station, it was all... Uh, like, service, you know? Right. So, my dad pumped gas, literally. People didn't get out of their cars. And my mom usually took cash and sold cans of soda. And there was a little kitchen in the back there. So, I mean, I think when I was 10 years old, I was, like, you know, making sandwiches to order in the back of a gas station <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> um, so, I was kind of always around it. And I guess, really, when I started, when I left, you know, when I started traveling, like, beyond australian shores obviously again uh working kitchens is a great way to make money and i just kind of realized that i knew a lot and uh you know started working i worked in europe i had residency in england because my apparent parents had immigrated to australia from england so yeah i started traveling i started realizing that you know the culinary arts was really important to me and um i was lucky enough to like work with some great people and People that took me under their wing and showed me as much as they possibly could, and you know, just like eating up that information for me is like—I mean, I still got—I, you know, I'll I'll, teach, I'll learn something from a dishwasher that I've never seen before, or, you know, and I love it. I, you know, really, to me, like if I can learn something new every every day, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, truth.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with you there. And but yeah, that that design. Uh, being an illustrator and, and graphic design that has a lot of correlating skill sets that I, I would imagine are incorporated into being a chef. Do you, do you find yourself actively drawing upon that same creativity or is it just something that organically happens?
2: I think it does organically happen. I um, realized a few years back that this is great. You can get really, really creative with food, whether it's um, really Delving into like the history of a particular dish or a particular technique and and getting good at it, or just purely the you know visually the the, the visual side of food and how how it looks and how it will look to the customer. The greatest thing is that you if you're a painter, you hit you inevitably are going to end up in a room surrounded by all of the paintings that didn't really quite work, <laughs> and they're all looking at you. <laughs> and, <laughs> You know, luckily you might have sold a couple, but they're usually the good ones that did work. Um, (laughs) The beauty of food is you create this stuff and it's gone, you know, like somebody's eaten it or destroyed it or you can, you know, it can be really inspirational to be able to create something and then never have to look at it again, you know. All all you see Hmm. is a dirty plate come back through the dish bit.
0: You got to start again. Hopefully empty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a wonderful perspective. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So any big surprises or differences that you've had in your career working in food service in say more of a traditional setting than in a brewery setting? Is there is there differences in the way you approach your menu items, obviously trying to incorporate some some beer inspired or some beer uh, pairing type foods in in here, but any other differences you've you've come across?
2: Like a brewery restaurant I think it's very different from a traditional restaurant. I've worked in a lot of different restaurants from like casual to fine, fine dining. And I think what I really enjoy about what we've been able to build at Good City is you really can have like great food and you can have great quality and you can be really creative, but it's not as formal. It's not a super formal setting. I think just the nature of the business There's something that's kind of fun about a brewery, you know, we uh, make great beer. So it's like we're part of like what some people refer to as beer tourism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you buy a beer from the store, you take it home, you drink it. You're like, Hey, this is great beer. So maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday when you've got a little bit of time, it's, you know, our our brewery has been a place where people are like, I want to go and see where this, where this beer is made. The space we have on the east side is, um, it's a great, it's a beautiful space, open. Literally, the brewery is in the middle of the restaurant. So there's no walls or glass. There's no real dividers other than a little low wall. So you can come in and you can relax. And like I said, it's, it's a little bit less formal than a regular restaurant. Um, you can sit around for hours and play games if you want, drink beer, hang out with your friends. But the beauty of it is you're in a, you're in a space that's actually a production brewery and our brewers are there. You can watch them you know, like running around. And uh, it's just people, I think it's, it, it's like food. It's like the closer you get to the production side, we have an open kitchen downtown. And I think people really like that, being able to see us work in the kitchen. And we have a, uh, like a, a big gas-fired pizza oven uh, downtown, which we don't have on the east side. So our menus changed a little bit because we have uh, you know, different pieces of equipment. But, I can't tell you how many times people will stop, and there's that that pizza oven just like throwing flames out, <laughs> mm-hmm. and people love to watch it. you know, they just love to see what you're doing and 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 watch people cook. Bring, brings them a little closer.
0: Do your chefs ever feel that they don't like being in the uh, open kitchen concept? Uh, my family has a restaurant in Sheboygan and has an open kitchen. And sometimes when you have chefs that you hire, they come into that first day of work and they say, oh, everyone can watch what we're doing. And they, it kind of gets to them a little bit. Do you ever see that with chefs?
2: I have seen it. it. I think it's just down to individuals. I think some people maybe think that it's going to be worse than it is. Yeah. Um, and there is still, you know, a certain amount of um, separation. You know i know i've had like i've put people on like a for banquets on like a carving station detail or even like if it's like a a buffet with somebody actually like serving on a buffet and some people will get really nervous and usually it takes five minutes and it's like they've totally forgotten the fact that they're standing there and you know people having to deal with people yeah Um,
1: well, it kind of becomes performance art when you really think about it. And that's that's why people like to watch it. You know, it's like you're working, but, you know, you're, you're performing, too. You're an entertainer almost, you know?
2: Yeah. I think the worst, maybe the hardest part is like when you're, when you're really busy. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've experienced really busy is like when there's a packed box game or when, Kisses in town or <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is. So some of those big shows are like, it's as much as we can do in our little kitchen just to, to keep putting that food up and like picket, a ticket machine, like ringing in your ears and tickets and going everywhere and food going everywhere. It's pretty stressful kind of a position to be in. Sometimes when you've got a couple hundred people watching you, <laughs> that's kind of when it gets tough.
1: Right. Yeah. Do Do you have to have conversations with your staff to be like, "All right, we are on display. We got to keep our cool. You know, no tempers flaring. You know, no From no time. obscene language." <laughs>
2: From time to time, absolutely. I have um, so my kitchen is sort of somewhat open uh, downstairs in this building, um, and then I have a station, the expo lighting station. Which, if it's really busy, it's usually myself or one of my sous chefs will be working on an expo. Um, and we are literally like in the restaurant hmm. and, you know, I've got, there's a few sort of like basic rules in, in fast paced kitchens that pretty much no one, like when you get really, really going, no one talks to anyone except the chef talks to everyone. Like hmm. if that way, there's just one voice. If there's, if there's too many voices, it just gets too crazy. And uh, so sometimes, yeah, there's a lot of those conversations. <laughs> keep, keep you cool. <laughs> well,
0: the restaurant industry, if you've worked in it, you know that it's, as you described, kind of a pressure cooker. And and uh, moments happen, and you just have to realize you're out in front. And, and, and the good thing is I think people learn to kind of let stuff go, right? After the shift, you put your arm around somebody and say, good job tonight, and it's all forgotten, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's definitely something that i've learned over the years the older i get the calmer i think i try to stay (laughs) you know (laughs) and i guess we're all like when we're younger it's it's real easy to to get a hot head and uh nothing's good nothing good is ever going to come from that doesn't get anything it doesn't achieve anything um it usually does completely the opposite
0: that's a fact
1: so i'd like to dive a little bit in more into the the beer. What types of beers are, is Good City doing? What are, What are some of the, the Do you have flagships, or is it always rotating? Is it always new? And then, along with that, how does that inspire your pairings with your dishes?
2: Um, so yeah, we do have flagships. Definitely, I'd say like the first um, maybe half a dozen beers that we produced, and like over the last four years, I you know I don't know the exact number, but it's got to be maybe. 20 25 maybe 30 different beers that we've produced over the last oh, four nice. years the the real early flagships were a really good kind of i think a good selection like you know everyone's got their their own style of beer um, i'm personally i love ipas i love hoppy beers we one of the first beers we came up with uh, was risk which is a traditional ipa motto is another one of our earlier beers and that's like a single hop single malt like a pale ale mm-hmm uh, what else we a pilsner? Obviously, I think the sort of the you know European heritage in this part of the country, this part of the world, um, is really strong. So I think pilsner is a really important beer, in especially you know in, in Milwaukee.
1: I would definitely like to try your guys' pilsner because it's I think it's a tricky one to get, and and uh, when you nail it, it's it's awesome.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people see it as being like simple, and they expect right. it to be easy to make and quick. But it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes longer, and uh, I think more can go wrong. Um, the simplicity of the flavors, you know, more forward. With hops, you tend to sort of, you can disguise, I think. I think consistency is huge. I think that's one of the most important things with good beer. Right. Because if you, you drink the beer once, and, you know, you think, all right, I, I, I like that beer, that was really good, and you go back and you drink it again, and it's completely different then mm we wouldn't be able to survive <laughs> with that kind yeah. of product. So our beers are really consistent. I think that the experience that you get from being able to go to the brewery, I think a lot of people have been really separate. And what I've seen is, uh, you know, people who visit our Eastside location, they're drinking sometimes a beer that was, that was made, put into a can or into a barrel like a day or two days before they're drinking it. Um, mm. And I don't think a lot of people really until they until they experience like fresh, really fresh beer, they don't realise how big of a difference that is definitely. You yeah. know, a, a beer that sat in a container for like three or four months is you know, whether it not necessarily that it is gonna be bad, but No, the
1: profile
0: changes though, for it, sure.
2: Definitely that profile is gonna change. The flavors are change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is the process of um developing a new flavor do you do you look at trends do you sit down and think about what you want to do do you think about different pairings and are you involved with that those decisions at the brewery is it, are you part of a team that sits down or how, how does, the, how does yeah. the process go for coming up with a new flavor that you want to introduce
2: i don't know if the brewery always listens to me <laughs> <laughs> i have over the years and that's been the fantastic part about being involved um, with these guys is you know, we talk about this stuff, we taste things, throw ideas out there. Our original brewmaster, Andy, is has an incredible palate. So I know there were so many times where I'd go to him and say, hey, Andy, taste this, you know, tell me what you think. And there were times where he'd come to me and say, hey, taste this beer, tell me what you think. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously there are trends with beer. It just is sort of natural that people want a particular style of beer. So, you know, sort of, I think we take that in, into consideration. Sometimes it's literally just what the brewery wants to do as well. You know, like we, we have a really uh, fantastic uh, sour or wild ale program that we've put together in our downtown location. So what we have are these uh, vessels called fooders. And mm-hmm. uh, they're tall wooden American white oak barrels um, all held together with stainless steel bands and uh, they're beautiful to look at so we've actually featured them in a little private dining room area so what we do is we we brew the base beers on the east side and then we transfer it over here fill these uh, fooders and then introduce different forms of bacteria Mm -hmm. Um, and then the bacteria goes to work and builds and changes that that uh, flavor profile and those things that we've got some beer that's been sitting in some of those fooders for like well over a year. So it's a slow process, Yeah, but some of that stuff's fantastic. And it's not everyone's cup of tea, you know, definitely some people would turn their nose up at a, you know, a wild ale.
1: Oh, I love sour beers. Like I've, I've been on that kick for probably 10 years now. Um, uh, used to live out West and, um, all along the front range, uh, in Denver, there's a lot of great sour beers and sour breweries, you know, out there doing some, some great stuff. So, i like I like to hear that you guys are are aging them because you know you get that 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 quick kettle sour, and you know it can be good, but it's just not the same as really putting the time in and really using that lactobacteria to let it do its thing. I haven't tried your guys yet, so I'm super excited to to, to try that
2: It is really interesting what happens over the course of month to month to month you know yeah. you wouldn't necessarily think that it would change that much but um it's yeah it really is pretty amazing we we do like uh barrel like bourbon barrel aging mm-hmm. um white wine barrels i think we had uh a couple of tequila barrels tequila yeah uh with something in there we, we've right from the word go we've done like a russian imperial stout aged in yeah. uh, kentucky bourbon barrels and uh that's that's just fantastic i mean you can't really drink too much of it no yeah um, <laughs> but it really it really is and and those natural like chocolatey coffee you know kind of notes that come through yeah. um you know without introducing you know cocoa or coffee or anything right. you know into the beer it's really pretty amazing just the malts
0: Now, I, I know as a chef you you've had things you've made and and you get so far down the path and you go you know what this just isn't working for me and you throw it out and start over right what do you do when you when you're brewing beer I mean do you have batches where you get you're trying something different for the first time and something doesn't go quite right it do you do you correct it do you throw it out and start over? do you have any stories like that and at the brewery of any beers that didn't quite work out or does everything work out is everything drinkable
2: the white The way to really do it, the way that I've seen the guys do it in the brewery is small batches. We have another thing we have in this downtown location is a is a two barrel system, uh, which Mm -hmm. is basically a tiny brewery. So for experimenting, for like making small batches, for getting the recipe right, um, as long as you write it all down, as long as you do it exactly the same, when you then go to a, you know, like a 40 hectolitre, you know, vessel, Mm -hmm. um, it should work.
1: What about pairing? How does that go for you? What's the process? Do you do menu recommendations like this dish would go great with this beer, or is it just kind of like whatever a person thinks?
2: You know, I think beer is really interesting. I obviously grew up in kitchens that were really. I grew up in wine country, so I grew up around a lot of a lot of different really good quality wine and uh, restaurant wine dinners and wine pairings, and there's a certain way to go about it. it. You know, there's certain things that just like go really well with with you know pairing um i also spent a time one of my previous jobs i did a series of uh bourbon dinners like every month we did a a different uh dinner based around uh either a particular company or a particular style of bourbon or you know years of aging and at first i was like the first couple i did it was kind of a challenge you know Hmm. like and But I really kind of got into the swing of, like, uh, thinking a lot more beyond just the flavor. Obviously, like, there's certain things that, that pair really well with either, you know, wine, beer, or bourbon. And then the beer thing for me, an interesting thing happened when we first opened the restaurant is, like, we can sell beer, we're a brewery, um, but we don't have a liquor license. So I naturally, like, always have boxes of red wine and white wine in the kitchen because it's just a tool. It's really fantastic uh, natural sugar that, um, you know, working uh, into food just creates a sweetness. There's so many good ways to use wine. So not having a liquor license meant that I couldn't hop by boxes of wine wholesale. (laughs) So all of a sudden it started going like, well, I got tons of beer and we make it. So it's pretty cheap.
0: Um,
2: (laughs) And I'd always had a few things that I did with beer, but it really got me looking at like all right what can i do with beer and like you know what works and what doesn't work and you know ipa is a, a real hard to work with with in in food mm-hmm. um because that bitterness is just like really hard to balance and it's not gonna you know necessarily go away i do actually use it now for um i pretty much take equal parts uh ipa and butter melt the butter in the ipa and i base uh pretzels with it and I think there's <laughs> something about like the the lie on the um on the pretzel and that bitterness and the salt and uh, it's absolutely delicious. Um, wow! So I don't use IPAs in a lot of cooking, but that is one thing that I use them for pretty much every day. But then obviously multi beers, the pilsner I use in a recipe, uh, my a cheese sauce that I make for a mac and cheese, and for it actually I use the same sauce on a pizza on a white pizza. And again, it's just like that IPA is fantastic. The malt profile is absolutely perfect. It's sweet, malty. Um, It just makes a great cheese sauce, you know. But then also pairings. I think it's sometimes it's not just about flavors, right? I you know we I use uh, I have like a curry spice that I use on our French fries, and basically it's a it's a French. It traditionally, it would be called a vadovan. Um, and the main difference between like an in Indian uh, curry blend and a, a French or Moroccan uh, curry blend is in India that they don't use garlic or um, onion in their mm. in their curries. Mm. And really, I think way back in the early days, I was thinking about the beer and the tradition of the beer. IPA, India Pale Ale, originates from way back in the day when they were shipping when India was a a part of the British Empire, and uh, they'd ship beer from England to India, and it would take, like, whatever, two months or however long it would take to get the beer from England to India. Probably most early on in the days, it would have been for expats, Brits that were living in India, and uh, hops are a preservative. So the natural addition of putting hops in a beer stems not from the fact that people were like, hey, these hops taste great in the beer, It was to be able to transport beer like out to the colonies and when it got there it was you know it it was still good so i love to play on that idea i love indian food as well i think there are so many different things that people just think of curry but there are so many other little things combinations um but i honestly think that those flavors go really well together like good indian curry spice and uh like a we like our mosaic, which is the single hop, single malt um, pale ale that we make. Absolutely fantastic. beer. It's really sort of bright. It's the the um, the hops are really really bright, almost kind of uh, fruity and sort of floral. But again, it's something as simple as a as a French fry dusted in curry and you know a glass of a nice pale ale. It's fruity. Mm. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some good information there and a little history yeah, lesson as well. Thank you for that. That was great.
1: Yeah. So how did that work when you you were looking at opening the downtown? You obviously want to keep some consistency in branding and image. Um, what elements did you take from the original east side to incorporate into the downtown location?
2: Um, into the space or into the menu or both? Or... Yeah, both. What? Yeah. Right from the word go. You know, we, I think all of us involved in Good City have been really conscious of um, branding and we touched on consistency before. Um, it, it's just so important that, you know, people come back to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, return business is is really good business to have. For us, branding has been really important. You know, we're a Milwaukee bu- business that's proud to be Milwaukee. We want to give back into the city we want to be a part of you know its future and progressing it and building great attitude and great community great neighborhoods and so that's that's really important stuff for us um I think our our branding and our being part of the different neighborhoods that we're in um, is like again it's really important to us food why we again we touched on this a little bit the Sheer volume that we need to you know deal with downtown negates doing things a little bit differently just to be able to you know get that many customers food, beer, you know in a, mm-hmm. in a timely fashion. so that changed the menu a little bit, but that being said, a few of the key things that people visit us for, we wanted to have some consistency in that. The curry fries that's something that it was a gamble when we first did it four years ago, but it's definitely something that people visit us for. So things like that, I think consistency is, is really important.
1: Moving forward, what is Good City doing to uh, look ahead to adjusting to the ongoing pandemic and, and what type of changes and modifications you're doing so that you guys not only survive, but you thrive?
2: I think this is such a tough time. You know, I've got a, I know a lot of people in this industry. Everyone's kind of taking a different tack as far as, you know, reopening or... Mm-hmm. Um, we, and one of the most important things to us is obviously the safety of um, our staff and our customers Right. Um, so at every opportunity uh, that's what we're trying to put ahead of anything else it's kind of tough guidelines are sometimes not always there for you <laughs> yeah. you know we just try to educate ourselves as best as we possibly can I think that's probably the, the number one thing is like staying in tune, staying educated, staying aware uh, of what's going on, obviously following as many guidelines as we can to sort of head us in the right direction. We're hopeful. I think that's important to stay hopeful. And and I think it's just time is going to tell that's, that's really, yeah. that's all we can really do.
1: You guys do have the benefit of uh, creating beer. So, that is one thing that people will always want, always need, and always will have accessible to them. So that's, thankfully, I, I would imagine that's helping keeping um, the food side of things afloat until we can get back to a sense of normalcy where you can get back up to volume for for your restaurants.
2: Yeah, I think that the, obviously, like, we are, a, first and foremost, we're a production brewery. Um, and uh, that is, sales have been good. Beer sales are good. It's, that old thing, right? Like when times are tough, people drink beer. When times are good, people drink beer. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't really change. Yeah.
0: How, how far do you distribute your product right now? Do you have a We're range? We're just in
2: Wisconsin. So, I mean, and that's, I think, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think that's one of the defining things with like a, a microbrewery, like, uh, you know, as opposed to like a regional brewery. Um, and as far as I know, like pretty much all over Wisconsin, You know, I haven't managed to get up north for a couple of years, but I'm pretty sure you could find good city way up north there somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) And we initially, we started uh, with uh, self-distribution and uh, soon sort of got to the point where it's just like we couldn't keep up on that. So we have a pretty decent uh, distribution company that's uh, got our product out there. And, you know, retail sales fast kind of went like really they – they increased and they increased and they increased and the demand is huge. You know, some of the larger supermarkets and, um, you know, chain stores, we have our product and they sell, they sell a lot of our beer. Again, I think it's testament to a good product.
0: Absolutely. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, especially nowadays where brewing has just gotten so competitive, if, if your product doesn't, if it's not good, it's not going to last, you know, where, where maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you could have survived uh, a little bit longer if you had substandard beer just because there, there just wasn't that same competition level so yeah, yeah it's,
2: it's changed a lot like if you think 20 years ago there were you know a handful literally of um mm-hmm. of you know anyone that was doing anything sort of different or interesting
0: yeah all right. Well, as much as I would love to continue to talk about the great food at uh, Good City and the good things you're you're doing there, I think it's uh, five o'clock somewhere, and I think we just need to uh, wrap things up, if you know what I mean. Uh, Guy, thank you for a great show today. We appreciate you taking time to speak with us and tell us about your story and about the food and everything going on at uh, Good City Brewing. So thanks again for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Rich. Really good talking to you. and You too, Justin.
1: Yeah, yeah thank you right? this rich. This will be an easy trip for us to make this yes, <laughs> is just a <laughs> stone's throw for us uh so uh, we need to we need to add this to our list of places exactly. Yes, exactly just... he
2: make sure you tell me when you come down.
1: we'll do
0: that uh, yeah, we will. I'm thinking about like this weekend <laughs> <laughs> all right, do it. Guy, throughout your career, I know we we always talk to our guests about people that have influenced them, or things that um, they may have heard on the way, or, or philosophies or quotes. Do you have anything that's a uh, quote, cool or anything that you would like to share with our guests? Is something that you keep in mind or or live by?
2: I think with like the way that I've always lived and worked is um, I just try to set the bar as high as I possibly can. Um, I I don't want to compromise on quality of goods quality of equipment uh, skill level, you know if you you, you can always get better and uh, I think just you set the bar as high as you possibly can and and uh, really your customers are going to benefit from it and also the young people that I've you know, been lucky enough to, to teach um, and to like mentor in this industry you know I just I, I want to set that, that bar so high so that they have the best chance that they can to succeed.
0: Oh, great. Great philosophy there, right? Always strive for that, that high level. And even if you come up a little short, you're still striving for that high level always, right? Absolutely. Very good. Very good. Okay, Justin, any uh, closing thoughts from you? Yeah, of course. I would like to
1: remind all of our listeners to please hit that subscribe button. Never miss another moment with a chef or industry professional again. And please,
0: while you're at it, give us a rating and share us with your friends as well. Okay, good, good. Thank you for that. And as I end the show, my quote, uh, very timely for me today, as my mother and I were just discussing something yesterday, she uh, is still running the restaurant that she and my father have been operating for over 40 years now. And uh, much like, I think, guys talking about in the breweries and, and knowing who you are, what you do, my dad was always uh aware of that and his philosophy in business was very simple he would always just say don't worry about the other guy and what they're doing just focus on what you do best and no one's going to beat you until next time everyone thanks for listening take care